Chapter forty two of the Pioneers by Catherine Susanna Pritchard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirsty. There's bad news from Cameron's, Deirdre. Steve came in from the road. A bullock wagon had just passed from the Wirree. Deirdre had seen it halt up. She had seen the bullocks standing with dumb, dull patience under the yoke, swinging their tails to keep the flies off. Some of them had gone down on their knees by the roadside, while the teamster had a drink and yarned with Steve. Then she had heard the cracking of the teamster's whip, his oaths and calls to the beasts, and the creaking of the heavy, blue-washed cart as it went on again. "'What is it?' she asked breathlessly, thinking of Davy. "'Old Cameron,' Steve said. "'Johnny Watson says he was found dead on the road by Long Gully, a tree fallen on him, this morning.' "'Steve!' There was horror, and yet a vague relief in her exclamation. "'Johnny says Cameron went down to the Black Bull yesterday evening, and there was trouble between him and McNab. McNab having let him in for this cattle-stealing case, knowing Davy was in it,' Steve went on. "'But Thad got round him somehow, telling him that he didn't know Davy was in it, and he'd get off anyhow, being Cameron's son. Butted the old man up that way. Connell and the schoolmaster'd be nabbed for sure, he made out. They were good enough friends when they parted, only he'd had more in a jugful, and a couple of the boys had to give him a leg up to his horse. The brute must have shied at the dead tree near the gully. The ground was cut up round it. It fell on them both. Mrs. Cameron found him this morning. I'll go and see if there's anything I can do for her. Deirdre took her hat down from behind the door. Steve went on talking of Donald Cameron, muttering in his vague, childish fashion. However he came to get in with McNab, I can't make out, he said. There weren't no two greater enemies a while back. Oh, he was mean as you make them, D.C., but he made his mark in the country. Deirdre had on her hat. I'm going, Steve, she said. I won't stay unless Mrs. Cameron's got no one with her. But the Rosses and Mrs. Morrison are sure to be there. Right, Deirdre, he replied. She took her bridle from its nail by the door and went into the paddock beyond the stable, calling the chestnut. He heard her cry, Coop, lad, coop, laddie and saw the white stocking, at her call, come galloping across the newly green grass, gilded with sunshine. She stopped the bridle over his head, brought him into the yard, saddled him, and turned out to the road. With thoughts of the tragedy that had befallen Mrs. Cameron, as she went along the winding track under the trees, were woven wonderings as to how Donald Cameron's sudden death would affect Davy and the schoolmaster. It was on the roadside by the long gully that Mr. Cameron had died, the old tree by the gully had fallen at last, and on Donald Cameron. At rain, while Dan and she were living there, a man had been killed by a falling tree. But it was strange that Davy's father should have died this way, she thought, he who had been the first settler in the hills. She wondered if he had ring-barked the tree, score its living green wood, if he had killed it, and in turn it had killed him, pinning him to the earth with its great bulk of dead and rotting timber. She could see Davy's father, heavy, squarely built, in shabby dark clothes lying beneath it, his grey hair blood-dabbled, his face bruised and blackened. The man who had conquered the wilderness had lain there, on the very road he had made, broken, cast aside, a thing that life had done with. It was as if the wilderness had taken its revenge. She slipped from the chestnut's back in a sunny clearing and gathered a handful of freckled and golden-eyed white honey flowers, twisting some tendrils of creepers and blades of ferns among them, and tied them together with a long piece of grass. 
when she came in sight of the weatherboard house crouching against the purple wall of the hills deirdre realised again what donald cameron had done the cleared paddocks spread round it on every side an orchard climbing the slope to the left showed a dark leafage against the grey and green of the forest cattle dappled the furthest hillside the barns and sheds and stables behind the house formed a small village he had made it cleared the forest for it he had done all this she realised and so much besides and now he was dead the man of iron will and indefatigable energy there were two or three of the neighbours carts in cameron's yard deirdre opened the gate and shut it when she and white socks had passed through she hung the chestnut's bridle over a post by the barn and lifted his saddle speckled fowls and handsome buff and yellow pullets stalked about the yard pecking industriously even under the legs of the rosses and morrison's horses which with harness looped back on them their noses deep in fodder bags stood beside the carts in the brilliant sunshine on a woodstack struck against the clear blue sky a black rooster crowed at intervals mrs cameron's sitting-room was in semi-darkness deirdre heard the hushed talking exclamations and sound of weeping as she went into it it's you deirdre mrs cameron said when she saw the girl her voice was flat and tired she seemed to have scarcely strength enough to speak deirdre kissed her with quivering lips and eyes welling the room was full of people she did not see who they were at first in the half-dark if only davy were here mrs cameron cried deirdre knelt beside her perhaps he'll come she whispered did you gather flowers for his father mrs cameron's eyes had fallen on the little bouquet in deirdre's hands i brought them for davy deirdre said mrs cameron's hands quivered in hers we must keep her cheerful not let her spirits get down said one of the visitors in deirdre's ear jessie ross brought in tea and some newly made scones you must eat this now dear to keep up your strength mrs ross said to mrs cameron taking a chair beside her mrs ross talked of her milking and the calves she had potted during the wet weather and the other women gathering round talked in serious and melancholy fashion of their milking and the calves they had had trouble with during the winter they gave each other recipes for cream cheese and jam and cakes to be made without eggs and i've discovered a sure way of making hens lay in the winter said mrs ross have you replied mrs cameron listlessly yes indeed and i'll tell you just what it is mary oh it's of no interest to me now with davy away and his father gone mrs cameron cried she kept her hold of deirdre's hand to think of him davy's father in there deirdre lying so still and cold he that was so strong and nobody could break or turn she said you haven't seen him yet you must come with me presently dearie but you must drink your tea and eat this little bit of scone first mrs ross said the neighbours talked again nervously cheerfully in subdued tones of the weather the sails and what the men of their households were saying about things in general we mustn't let her brood they said anxiously to each other mrs cameron did not seem to hear or notice them when she stood in the silent room with deirdre looking down on the white-sheeted figure of davy's father she turned to the girl with a sharp cry it's a sad sad thing to be parting from your life's mate deirdre she said to think that he should have died like that after all that he's done he that made this hill country to have gone without a word from any one or a clearing up of the misunderstandings between us 
and Davy not to see him again. She broke down and sobbed utterly. Mrs. Ross and Mrs. Morrison took her, each by an arm, and led her back to the sitting-room. The hum of strained, subdued, and cheerful conversation began again. Mrs. Cameron went to the door with Deirdre. "'If only they'd let me be, child!' she cried, kissing her. "'If only they'd let me be! It's very good of them all to bother, but if only they'd let me be!' As the chestnut padded softly along the track home to Steve's, Deirdre wondered again what effect Donald Cameron's death would have on Davy and Dan. It would make Davy a rich man, she knew. Donald Cameron had been reputed wealthy when she and the schoolmaster first came to the hills, and he had not been drinking long enough to have squandered much money. It would take more than a gallon of rum to make old Cameron loosen his purse-strings, she remembered having heard Connell say. To Dan and to her it would make very little difference in the end. There would still be McNab. The train of her thoughts snapped. For a moment, with all her passionate youth, she envied Donald Cameron his stillness. A night and a day remained before she would have to tell McNab that she had made her choice. Every beat of the chestnut's hoofs on the soft roadside drove what he had said into her brain. She knew no more now than she did a week ago what was going to happen to Davy and the schoolmaster, or how the case was going, perhaps less since Donald Cameron's death but her mind was made up as to what McNab's answer would be. She had never really had any doubt as to what it must be, and had asked for time as one asks to have the window open before settling down to passing the day in a dark and airless room. Deep in her mind there was still, however, a vagrant hope, a fairy, childlike thing, a phantom assurance of the impossibility of what was demanded of her, a belief, like thistledown, as faint and fragile, that something unheard of, miraculous, would happen to help her, and at the same time save Dan and Steve and Davy. End of chapter 42